this is the season, uh, as Andy said, that we call Advent. And uh, it's uh, a, a part of the church's um, uh, year. And uh, the Advent season is when, as Andy said, uh, we look forward to celebrating the coming of God to earth uh, on Christmas Day. Uh, we know that Christmas Day isn't his actual birthday, but it's like the Queen used to have her real birthday and her official birthday. Well, this is the, the kind of the day that the church has chosen to celebrate the, the coming of Jesus as a baby um, in, uh, in Bethlehem. But it's also the, day, the season where we, we look to his coming again in glory and his second coming. And uh, first of all, with, with the Advent season, uh, there's four candles, there's four Sundays in Advent, and uh, they each represent uh, an attribute, a blessing of God. And uh, the, the, the four are uh, hope, because when we look for Jesus' coming, uh, it gives us hope. The second Sunday is peace. Uh, it, the coming of Christ uh, is he is the Prince of Peace. The third Sunday, which is this Sunday, it's joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And then the fourth Sunday is love. And uh, hope, peace, joy, and love are, are, four, are four blessings, are four benefits, are four aspects of the coming of Jesus. And they fit together. It's, it's not as if they're inseparable. Uh, because um, uh, without hope, there's no peace or joy. Um, without love, what's the point of hope? Uh, and uh, they, they all come together, and it's different aspects of the blessing that we have in Jesus Christ. And uh, as we look for uh, his first coming, we realize um, one thing that puzzled me is, is, Lord, why did you take so long? I mean, Adam and Eve messed up a long time ago. And, uh, you know, you, something could have happened uh, way, way earlier. And the reason is because God is infinitely patient. When you stop and think about it, he is infinitely patient. Are we getting some feedback? Of, is there music playing in the background? It's a plane. You're kidding me. Okay. Um, I've never heard that before. It is a plane, isn't it? Bizarre. And uh, this is a weird Sunday. This is a weird Sunday. It must be because we lost last night. Um, and uh, um, yeah, and, and God is infinitely patient. Uh, he, is, he is slow to anger and steadfast in love. And and, you know, I think, Lord, why didn't you deal with Israel? I mean, they messed up again and again and again. They, they, you know, they had judges, half of them weren't any good. Then they had kings, hardly any of them were any good. They kept turning to idols. Um, you ended up, they ended up having to go into exile, but you brought them home and, and all of that. And, and the answer is, he is patient. And then, at the right time, God came to earth. And what amazes me every time is, is not that he wasn't born in a palace, 
but at least a semi-detached with its own garage. You know, he, he was born in a stable, in a manger. Why? Why like that? Because God wanted to say, I come to be, to, to identify with and for the poorest of the poor. Uh, he had no savings. Uh, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, said Jesus of himself. Uh, and, and, and then um, uh, he, he was born in Bethlehem. Now, I, I've been there, and, and I remember I stayed one time at the King David Hotel, I think it was, when I was speaking at a conference, and it was right at the top, Jerusalem's on a hill, and, uh, and you stood on the balcony, and you could see Bethlehem down at the bottom in the distance. And when Jesus was born, it really was a little town of Bethlehem. It really was a very little town. It was nondescript. And what does that say? That says uh, Jesus, Jesus comes for, for the hidden people, for the hidden places. You know, if, if God came, if Jesus came to earth today, he wouldn't be born in London he wouldn't be born in Paris or New York. He would be born in Watford. <laughs> or maybe even in Hemel Hempstead. Uh, he, you know, God, oh, wow. Oh, this is so exciting. Um, he, would be, he would be born uh, in, one of, in one of those places. And that's what happened when Jesus was born. And then on earth, you know, the thing that amazes me about Jesus in his 33 years, again, was his patience, his patience. I know he said some tough things to the Pharisees, but he could have sent angels to wipe them out. Yeah, I would have done, you know. And, and with his disciples, patient and patient and patient, they, they betrayed him, they denied him, they didn't understand him. At one point, they wanted to call down fire from heaven to burn down Samaritan villages just after he preached the Sermon on the Mount, you know, and his infinite patience. And, and, and again, what does that say? God is long-suffering. That's another word for it, long-suffering. And then, um, uh, as well as that, um, his death on the cross, he died a criminal's death. And it wasn't just that it was unbelievably painful, it was, it was humiliating. They stripped him naked. It was the sort of death only a, 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 someone who'd committed terrible crimes and was a slave would die. It was the death of slaves in the Roman Empire. It was the most humiliating of all. And he was lifted up on the cross so that everyone would see the humiliation of God. And if that doesn't identify with the lowest of the low, with the most broken of the broken, with the... <laughs> with... 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 The, the <laughs> I rebuke you, Satan. Um, with, with the most broken of the broken, with the most sinful of the sinful, he identifies with, with us at our worst. 
He identified completely. He took everything on himself. And God's infinite patience and long-suffering from the beginning. And then he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and put everything right. And it's been 2,000 flipping years. And my question is, Lord, why have you, why so long? Why so long? And it's the same answer. Because he is patient. Because he is long-suffering. Because, because he knows what he is doing. And when we celebrate the coming of God in Christ as a baby in Bethlehem, we celebrate the hope of the world the joy of the world, the Prince of Peace, and the God of love. But what I want to talk about really is, is his return. And I can't remember, if I'm honest to my shame, the last time we ever talked, preached in this church about the second coming of, of Jesus. It's not one of those subjects that we've really covered very much. But it is the truth, and we're meant to anticipate the early church looked for the, the, the return of Christ. We're told in Revelation that, that we as the church should call out, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come. And he is coming. That's his promise. And when he returns, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. But the interesting thing is, when I first became a Christian in a previous century, we talked a bit about the second coming. I don't there was a film when I became a Christian, when I was at school, that we all watched that frightened me. I don't know how many of you ever watched it or remembered it. A Thief in the Night. Put your hand up if you remember. You watched that, three of you. Oh my Lord, five of you. Well, I tell you, I couldn't sleep that night because I, I somehow convinced myself that he would return in the middle of the night and the elect would be taken and I would be left. You know, because I wasn't completely sure of my salvation. And of course, that was nonsense. Uh, but, but we don't really talk about his return. And it's, I, for, but it's a reality for all of us. All of us will see Jesus, either when he returns or when we meet him. And for some of us, that will be earlier than for others of us. But we will see him face to face. And yet, and yet for many of us, that's not, that's not a comfort as it could be. That's not a joy, a hope. Uh, it doesn't bring us peace. And I've wondered why. And here's what I want to suggest might be the answer. Because we're so immersed in earth. We're so immersed in this life now with everything that social media throws at us, uh, with everything that we see on the TV, with everything that we read, with all the busyness of life on earth, and boy, has life got busy, with all the things we're concerned about in our personal lives or in the world around us, it all feels so difficult, and we're so consumed with today that we, we don't have any much sense even in the church of eternity, and yet eternity is our destination. 
And the question is, what is eternity? Again, I'm, this is my age coming out, but did any, how many others ever read the sacred diary of Adrian Plass, aged 37 and three quarters? A few more of you. Um, I loved that book. Um, and uh, there's this one little passage where um, a, a very wise visiting speaker comes to Adrian's church and they have a question and answer session. And uh, Adrian uh, doesn't want to ask this question because he's embarrassed, but he puts up his hand and he says in a trembling voice, what is heaven like? And then to explain himself, he says, uh, because I'm, I'm not that keen on going, not for a while. I like it here too much. I'm scared of dying. And this very wise older Christian says, Adrian, what is your what is your idea of a perfect day? What is the thing you would love the most? And Adrian went misty-eyed and he said, oh, my idea of a perfect day is a hot summer's day in England in July or August. And I'm sitting on the grass watching a cricket match on the common Drinking a gold glass of lager. That is my perfect day. And then the visiting speaker said, well, Adrian, for you, God is going to make heaven better than a hot summer's English day, sitting on the grass on the common, watching a game of cricket and drinking a glass of um, lager. And whilst there's limits to that analogy, I think there's truth in that. Why is it something to, and, and you see, we've misunderstood heaven. For ages, I thought, I, I wasn't sure, why am I not keen on heaven? I know, because it feels like it will be a very, very, very long service that will never end. And we will sing the same line of the song for eternity, I just don't know if, I, if that's heaven, what is hell? You know, I don't know if I can face that. And you know, the truth is that's not what it's going to be. Another thing I thought is that heaven was, when we died, we'd leave our bodies and we'd, we'd flow up into the sky and heaven would be somewhere between Mars and Venus. And I was like, but that doesn't sound great. And of course, it's a new heaven and a new earth and just about all of us are going to be on the new earth and it's going to be perfect. It's going to be pristine. Global warming will have been changed and, and everything will be beautiful. There will be no pollution and Christ will be in the midst. And the thing about eternity is it's not a place. Eternity is a person. Eternity has a name and his name is Jesus. This is eternal life, he said, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In John uh, 17, I think it's verse 1 or verse 2, I think it's verse 1, he says, the eternal life is Jesus. Jesus is eternity. And the best way to prepare for heaven, to prepare for eternity, is to spend time with eternity now on earth. A little less TV, a little less social media, a little less busyness, a little less shopping, a little less everything else, if we can. 
and a little more. And even when we do all those things, actually doing them with Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to Sainsbury's. Can you come with me? Not to show me the, the bargains, but just so that we can hang out together on the way. Jesus, could you watch the football with me? I know you're not as fussed as I am about the result, but pretend. Jesus, can you do life with me? I want to do my life with you. And you know, the more we get to know him, the more we get to know him, the more we're prepared for heaven. You see, there's a, there's a saying that was um, current when I became a Christian. And people used to dismiss some of us Christians and say, you're, too, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly use. And uh, I don't know if it was true then, but I don't think it's true now. I think the opposite is true now. Most of us followers of Jesus, we're too earthly minded to be of any heavenly use. We don't have a glimpse of eternity. We're not excited about seeing him face to face. And, and do, you know, do you know, the more heavenly minded we become, the more earthly use we will be. And there are some people that I have met, there are, there's two people who I love dearly, who are very near seeing him face to face. Um, and uh, I've talked with both of them. And they've both said to me, uh, one just literally three or four weeks ago, said, I'm ready, Mike. I'm ready to see him face to face. I'm ready. And it wasn't just words. I know that. And, and, and you occasionally meet people who have such a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that there's, there's, there, there's, there's a glint of heaven in their eyes. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a glimpse of eternity, of something else. We are, we are visitors here. We are strangers here for a short time. And then we will see face to face. This life counts. This life matters. And do you know what? To know this, to know him, is to know hope, is to know peace, is to know joy, is to know love. And as I was preparing this talk, I was a little apprehensive as to whether, um, uh, as to how to say this, because, you know, I don't want to talk too much about joy when when I know that there are some of us here, that are, many of us that are struggling with life, some with anxiety and depression. That's, that's a serious thing. That's a heavy thing. Some of us, we're worried about our children. Others of us, about our parents. Some of us are, worried, are concerned about how we're going to make ends meet. Some of us are, are concerned about the future, about a relationship. Many of us carry burdens and we've all got in the backs of our minds what's going on in the world around us. And it's like, wait a minute, how can you talk about joy in the midst of sorrow? Well, that's exactly the place where joy comes into its own, in the midst of sorrow. The Lord Jesus was known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was known as a man... Guys at the back, you couldn't just, just whisper if you can. Is that all right? I'm, I can even hear you. Thank you. 
Um, he was um, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and yet he was full of joy. Yet he was full of joy. And listen to what he says in uh, John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I've wondered about that. Um, I do not give to you as the world gives. What, 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 what is the way that he gives peace that's different to the way the world gives peace? The way the world gives peace is painkillers, is tranquilizers, is tablets. It's a really nice holiday in a beautiful place. It's maybe a little, um, just another glass of wine. Uh, it may be that you, winning the lottery. That's the way the world gives peace. And, and, and all of that. But do you know what? The way Christ gives peace, the way Jesus gives peace, it's on the inside. It doesn't depend on circumstances. My peace I give you, my peace I live, leave with you. It's not as the world gives. To know him is to know peace because one of his titles, as I've already said, is the Prince of Peace. And then if we just move on a little bit into John 15, beginning at verse eight, he says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Listen to this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What was he told us so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete? He's told us that as the Father has loved him, so he loves us and that we can remain in his love. We can stay, we can abide in his love. And you know, the man of sorrows, Jesus, who wept over Jerusalem, who wept over Lazarus, who, who had the agony of the cross, who sweated blood in the garden of Gethsemane and said, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was filled with joy. He was filled with joy. He was a man of joy in the midst of sorrow. And he gives us joy in the midst of sorrow. It's not to pretend that bad things aren't bad, but it's to know something else. It's to know him. It's to know him. How many of you were at the Christmas party on Friday? A fair few of you, but you know, it was packed. And I don't know who, I think everyone's still, yeah. But, it, but I heard, I didn't go, but I heard it was fantastic. I saw the photos, I saw the videos. And you know what? I don't just mean at a Christmas party, but Christians, if, if, if there's one thing we're meant to do, it's to party in the midst of trouble. It's to celebrate in the midst of sorrow. Our job is to dance upon injustice to, because there is a greater truth not to ignore the struggles, not to ignore the pain. Jesus never did, but he is bigger than. He, he, the truth is, he is the Lord and he won't let go of me. 
There have been times in the last few weeks where I've struggled with stuff, where I've felt very heavy, where I've been concerned. And do you know what's helped me get through it? And I, I, I've loved it. It's, it's just to remember, in the midst of my stuff, I declare, you are the Lord. You are the Lord. And oh no, you'll never let go. You'll never let go of me. You'll never, you're the Lord and you'll never let go of me. Everyone else may leave me. Everything else may go wrong. Everything else may, may happen, but you are the Lord and you know me completely and you'll never let go of me. That's the comfort. That's what has comforted God's people for 2,000 years. That's how the early church lived. They lived, they lived as their God did in patience. They lived with hope. They lived with hope. They lived in peace. They lived in joy. How does this work? I want to use a football analogy, but not from last night. It's too painful. In the year 1999, the greatest event of the 20th century happened. Manchester United won the Champions League, beating Bayern Munich at the Bernabeu Stadium in Barcelona. And I watched it on TV. And I have been a Man United supporter since 1968, which is before most of you were born. And, um, and when it was the final, it was one, the one trophy Alex Ferguson hadn't managed to win. And uh, everyone else was going out together to watch it, going to a pub, going, they watched it here. I said, no, I'm not watching it with anyone else. I can't bear it. I'm going to watch it on my own. I'm going to watch it at home because I knew I would get emotional. And I just, as an introvert, I just needed to be on my own for this holy moment. And I watched it and I was so nervous and and when the match started, I couldn't even sit on the settee. I was kneeling on the floor in front of the TV as if that would help. And it didn't go well at the beginning. Bayern Munich scored and then they hit the post and, and it didn't look like we were going to do anything. And the time was ticking on and I was in a terrible state. It was like, we're going to lose. I can't believe it. We're going to lose. Um, we this is, this is awful. And it, and it got virtually to um, time added on. It got to full time. And then Alex Ferguson brought on the super sub, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who was a better footballer than he was a manager. But anyway, and, uh, and he brought him on. And literally, I can, still, I can still remember the commentator saying, Man United got a corner and David Beckham went to take the corner. And... Uh, Clive Tilsley, I think it was, he said, can Manchester United score? They always score. And it was a few seconds left. And then he got it in and Terry Sheringham uh, hit the ball in the back of the net. I went crazy. I went absolutely crazy. And, 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 and then I thought, it's going to be extra time. And then the game restarted. And within a few seconds, United got back up the field. I just didn't want them to concede. And they got up the field and, and they crossed the ball. And Oli Gunnar Solskjaer stuck his foot out 
and it went in the back of the net and we won at the last possible moment. I cried. I'm not ashamed to say I wept in my house. It was just amazing. But I was a nervous wreck. I mean, it took me weeks to recover. I was like, I couldn't sleep. I was, I was just in a terrible state. But you know what I did? As soon as the video came out, and for those of you that are young, videos were these little boxes you would insert in players and you would watch things. And um, I bought a video of the match. And just about once a month or whenever I felt low, I would watch the video. And, and just to cheer me up. But do you know, whenever I watched the video, the match would begin, I would be relaxed. Bayern Munich would score. I would laugh. Ha, 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 ha. The time would be running out. I think I shall have another Diet Coke. Oli Gunner came on. I thought, here we go, here we go, here we go. And, uh, and then Teddy Sheringham got the first, the equaliser. And then Oli Gunner got the winner. And then we all celebrated. And I was full of joy from the beginning, full of peace, full of hope, full of hope. Why? Because this time, I knew how it would end. Folks, brothers and sisters, we know how it's gonna end. We know, we know how this ends. There is gonna come a day when Jesus is gonna lift the trophy and it won't be the Champions League. It will be, I don't know, the Universe League champion, whatever. And do you know what? We're on his team. We're on his team. We know how it flipping ends. And that is our hope. That is our hope. Apparently, the words are back on. There's a song that we were going to sing and we tried to sing at the beginning of the worship that I discovered a few weeks ago in Australia. I just want to end. Um, and we're going to worship, don't worry by just quoting from this song. I love it, and I think it speaks to this. Can we put it on, I speak Jesus? Can we put, um, I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind, scroll, because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. To every soul held captive by depression, I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. <laughs> Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. 
burn like a fire. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. And this is the line, if I'm honest, that kills me whenever I sing it. Jesus for my family. Just hold it there for a second. Jesus for my family. Over the last month, weeks, I've I've spoken the name of Jesus over uh, my family, uh, most of whom don't know Jesus, over the families in this church and families that I love. I've spoken the name of Jesus. Jesus for my family. Let's go on. I speak the holy name, Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. I love those words. It's not the kind of song we normally sing, but, and do you know what? We speak the powerful, the loving, the life-changing name of Jesus over our situations. Years ago, someone asked me, how are you? And I said, oh, okay, under the circumstances. And his reply was, what on earth are you doing under the circumstances? (laughs) He's risen. He's ascended. And he is returning. And he is our flipping 